Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with Metro Editor Leah DeGroat, who has a really serious story this week that started with a woman whose body was found in a vacant building on I Street. Leah, can you just tell us what happened in that building or what police know so far? Yeah, so what happened was about last Friday, police found uh, the body of a dead woman in uh, a house at uh, 2507 I Street. And they, this woman actually had gone missing on New Year's and they found, they got a report for an unconscious person in this building and they went and determined that she was dead. Um, and while they were responding to the scene, they also determined that there was probably some narcotic use in the house. Like people had probably been using the home to do, do narcotics. So did police officially rule a cause of death or do we know any more information about that? Not yet. Police are still investigating her death and we they're not releasing any information about her until they finish their investigation. So the discovery of this woman's body sparked a lot of concern from residents. You went to a neighborhood meeting where residents expressed some concerns. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so at Wednesday's Advisory Neighborhood Commission meeting, Inez Sakite, uh, who's an outreach specialist, a community outreach specialist at DCRA, which is the District Department of Regulatory Affairs, she answered um, some residents' questions about that property as well as a couple of other properties on I Street that are kind of derelict and run down um, or vacant. You said some of the buildings were kind of run down. This is a Foggy Bottom in general is a very wealthy area. There's a lot of nice properties here. So what was it the what was it exactly that residents said was the problem with these buildings? Why were they so upset? Yeah, so the property where the woman died, 2507 I Street, that has been vacant for years and years. No one's been living there. Um, and there's another property, 2505, right next door, that's not actually vacant, but it's just kind of run down, um, kind of shabby looking, and neighbors aren't too happy about it. There's another property across the street, 2506 I Street, that's vacant right now, but it's owned by a family that wants to expand the home um, to accommodate their family. And some residents are concerned about that home, that it's vacant, it's kind of run down, there needs some repairs on the front steps. Um, but the main concern is just that these these houses are run down. Um, the well, what, will, what will that cause? Like, what? how is that hurting the neighborhood exactly? Yeah, so the 2505, 2506, um, those are not... The only problem with them is that they're just kind of run down. The issue at 2507 was that it was vacant. Um, and, like, the police said there's not too much information right now, but, like, the police said that they're, um, they found some narcotic use. So based on the concerns, uh, is the community planning to come together in some way to act on those concerns? Yes, yeah, so I've spoken to Marina Strzynowski. Um, She has told me that the Foggy Bottom Association is planning on holding a community meeting this Tuesday to talk about some of these issues. Um, yeah, it's not clear if that's going to be open to the press, though. From my understanding of how the Advisory Neighborhood Commission works, there's a lot of people who come there who've expressed concerns about people experiencing homelessness in the area and kind of the aesthetic look of the neighborhood and even students, like, worrying about, like, students leaving trash on the ground and things like that. Uh, so do you think this is kind of like a trend just in this area? 
not that I've seen. I honestly haven't digged into it too much. Uh, this is kind of the biggest thing that I've heard um, happening so far um, this to, year. To the greatest yeah. extent. To the greatest yeah. extent, yeah, that this has happened. So from an official standpoint, there's not a lot of real problems with the area. Yeah, not aside from 2507 I Street where the woman died. Um, there's not any, there's not really anything DCRA can do. The other thing to keep in mind for Washington, D.C. is that we have squatters' rights, so there's not really much DCRA can do if there are people who have been using those homes to, to live in. And I think something else that's interesting to note is that there are these vacant buildings around, and then also very close to us, there was the case Street encampment that was also cleared recently. So you kind of have to wonder if some people who are experiencing homelessness may, you know, seek shelter in those in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And one person who was kind of involved in the email chain, he chimed in and said, um, he kind of compared Foggy Bottom to K Street, kind of to that situation, um, and kind of wondered why our area wasn't getting as much attention. Well, when you're monitoring the situation in your coverage, what are you going to be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for anything else that comes from DCRA. Um, anything, anything else that the community members, I want to, I want to know what happens at the meeting on Tuesday. I'll be looking out for that. Um, as well as the, the coroner's report or the autopsy from the woman. Um, I'll be looking out for, uh, when the police releases any more information about her. So 2019 was a pretty wild ride for politics in Ward 2. Councilmember Jack Evans recently resigned because of allegations that came out in 2019 uh, that accused him of ethics violations, and and now Leah is going to break down what will happen next. So, first of all, there's going to be a special election. Can you break down who those candidates are and kind of what their platforms are? There are six Democratic candidates and one Republican candidate who have said that they are going to run in the special election. Kind of for the special election, what has to happen is that it's a completely separate campaign process from their, um, from the primary election. So in order to qualify for the special election, the Democrats will need to get 250 signatures from registered Democratic voters in Ward 2, and then 500 signatures from registered voters in Ward 2 from either party. And the special election is going to be held on June 16th, actually after the primary election, which will be held on June 2nd. So that's a little bit confusing for some people. What will happen is that whoever wins the special election on June 16th will serve the remainder of what would have been Jack Evans' term, ending in January 2021. And whoever wins the primary election will serve the regular term um, of a DC council member. That's confusing for me, to be honest. It's a little much. So there's a possibility of one person winning the special and then one person winning the primary, and it would be like a council member elect. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's very, okay. I understand now. So obviously until that time, they can't just stop business as usual in Ward 2, so how are they going to function uh, without a council member? Phil Mendelson, who's the chair of the DC Council, actually came to Wednesday's ANC meeting, the Advisory Neighborhood Commission meeting, um, to kind of explain what's going to happen for Ward 2 residents while they're waiting to elect a new council member for Ward 2. He said that they're going to remain, they're going to keep the Ward 2's council 
office open in the interim, um, keep everyone's jobs still, like everyone who had a job is gonna keep their job until the primary um, and the special election. And until then, uh, I saw on the DC Council's website, you can actually call the Deputy Chief, Chief of Staff if you have any concerns or inquiries for um, the council. He also emphasized, Phil Mendelson also emphasized at the meeting that um, Ward 2 residents still have representation from the at-large council members. Um, so they're not completely without representation right now. Well, thanks Leah for talking to us today. Thank you, Meredith. For our culture segment this week, there is a new art exhibit at our tech house that our culture editor, Sydney Lee, is gonna tell us about. Sydney, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So what is the premise of this art exhibit? So it's called Future Sketches, and it's by artist Zach Lieberman. Um, so the whole idea behind it is using computer code and technology, like our tech house normally does, um, to make really interactive exhibits. Our tech house is known for some really modern, like not your typical art. So how does that come into play in this exhibit? So you can interact with the art in many different ways, like you can walk up to one of the exhibits and it's called Body Sketches and they use um, code to kind of put different costumes on your body and then you're able to see yourself in the screen and move around with the costumes on. So we're talking like any kind of costumes that you can dream up or is it like a preset costumes? I think they have like preset ones, but there's like a bunch that you can try on and use. Uh, what else can we expect from this exhibit? Another really cool feature that they have is called Face Lab, where you can sit in front of the screen and raise your eyebrows, smile, make different facial expressions, and the computer will kind of like react to you. And the code will match your expression on your face to other faces in the big database of people that move their face in the same way. So this to me sounds like every Instagram influencer's dream, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So when you and your team spoke to the artist behind this, what did he say he hoped people got out of the exhibit? He said that his main inspiration for doing something like this now is that in a time where augmented reality and computers are like such a big thing and pretty soon, you know, we'll be living in like this augmented reality all the time, who knows? Uh, he really wanted to show a way that we can do this augmented reality things, but in a more creative and expressive way. So is his background strictly art? Did he um, go to art school? Did he have a traditional path? So Lieberman splits his time between working on art exhibits like this one and then teaching at MIT and the School of Poetic Computation. So he does lots of coding and computer work um, as well as his art. And when can people actually check out this exhibit? Well, the exhibit opened officially this past Monday, January 17th, so you can go and see it all the way through March. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's all for this week. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roten and features culture editor Sydney Lee. This podcast is produced by podcast host Meredith Roten. Music is produced by Ulf Studio. A special thanks this week to Leah DeGroat for joining us.